This is the day that God has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Elliot Munn, and I am the pastor here of the Virgins Congregational Church, an open and affirming congregation of the United Church of Christ. That means whoever you are, wherever you are on life's journey, you're welcome here. Let us now silence ourselves and our hearts and take a moment of quiet before we begin our worship with our choral introit. Please rise and body your spirit for a call to worship. This is the day the Lord has made, a day for praise and prayer, a day for gratitude and generosity. This is the time God has given us, a time for singing and silence, a time for speaking and listening. This is the life to which God calls us, a life of humility and service, a life of faith and trust. Eternal God, you have called us to be members of one body. Join us with those who in all times and places have praised your name, that with one heart and mind we may show the unity of your church and bring honor to our Lord, Savior, and friend, Jesus Christ. Amen. Oh, just... 
Good morning. Good morning. This morning's first scripture lesson is from Habakkuk, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and can be found on page 762 in your Pew Bible. The Oracle that the Prophet Habakkuk saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen, or cry to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, judgment comes forth perverted. And our second lesson is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He has gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost.
If our reading from Habakkuk uh, sounded a little dour this morning, that's because we didn't catch the end of it. Um, the end of the, script, the scripture reading is with Habakkuk. He climbs up. To, he, he calls on us to climb up onto the wall and set the vision. It's supposed to be a nice parallel to Zacchaeus, but we won't go into it because the sermon this today is actually about. Zacchaeus. So let us center ourselves in a moment of prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Out of curiosity, how many of you make a living directly from farming? Farming, farming. Okay, none. Interesting. Do any of you earn a living directly from the success of crops? Interesting. So we live in a region. Oh, you do? What is it? Okay. Oh, interesting. And that's a local program. Very cool, Lisa. Um, so we live in a storied region for its agriculture. And interestingly, now there are few, if any of us, whose income is directly related or linked to the soil. And those of you who have, who have farmed before know why. It's really hard to make a living farming. It's a tough business. It is because our churches have historical roots in agriculture that stewardship campaigns align with the fall harvest. The fall is a time for farmers to take account of the fruits of their labor. If they had a good crop in the past, they were more generous. If it was a bad crop, they gave what they could and prayed to make it through the winter. Either way, they would come together as a church to help raise funds to support one another. You know, they'd put a new roof on the sanctuary if it needed it, send a young person off to seminary, whatever churches do, right? They would come together to make it happen. The fruits of the harvest made possible, of, made possible a community of resilience and faith, dedicated to living the good news of Jesus Christ. The fruits of the harvest are also an important motif throughout the Gospel of Luke. In chapter 6, Jesus teaches specifically about a tree and its fruit. Every tree, he says, is known by its fruit. This is a logical statement, right? In fact, you don't need to be an arborist to tell in the fall if the tree is an apple tree, a pear tree, or an oak tree. The fruit makes it very clear what type of tree it is. These, Luke uses these fruit motifs to accentuate the importance of our good works as people of faith. 
We hear it in the words of John before Jesus' baptism. Bear fruit worthy of repentance. And every tree that does not bear good fruit, bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The language of fruit comes up again in the parable of the sower and the barren fig tree. These teachings emphasize the power of God's love to transform us. God seeks us out like a lost sheep, a lost coin, or particularly rich soil. And when we are found, we speak of that love in terms of grace. God sows something in us that we do not merit in our salvation, in our making us whole, in reconnecting us to the world. And yet God's love does not stop there. It takes root like a seed in the ground. Repentance, the act of turning around from one's sinfulness, the woundedness, the disconnected parts of ourselves is the first such fruit of God's love. And if that repentance is rooted in true love, it will bring forth abundant fruit. That's how we know what type of tree we are. Jesus was harshly critical of the people who many thought of as fruitful, the rich. He said it was easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. An impossibility. There's no way it can happen. And yet, in today's gospel reading, that's exactly what happens. We are introduced to a rich man named Zacchaeus. Not only is he a tax collector, he is a chief tax collector. Not only is he a swindler, he has a team of swindlers who he makes a profit off of, like he's some sort of mafia don. Sure, he is short, but he is not a guy you want to mess with. But when Jesus comes to Jericho, something happens to this diminutive wise guy. Instead of keeping his cool, he is overwhelmed with a desire to see and to connect with Jesus. He runs ahead of the crowd. He climbs up into the tree so he can get a good look at him. And this man whose strength comes from fear, makes an utter fool of himself. Jesus takes note. He invites Zacchaeus down from the tree and himself over to Zacchaeus' house for dinner. The crowd predictably grumbles. They can't believe Jesus would want to associate with that guy. And it is in this moment that Zacchaeus brings some of his old bravado to his newfound faith in Jesus. And he sticks up for himself. He promises to give half of his possessions to the poor. And if he has wronged anyone, he will make it right 
with reparations of four times as much. This is serious generosity, considering just how wealthy Zacchaeus is. So plucked from the tree, Zacchaeus embodies the fruit worthy of repentance. Jesus commends him and proclaims that salvation has come to his house. God transforms Zacchaeus' desire, uh, transforms Zacchaeus through his desire and his generosity. Now, some scholars believe that this story is not about repentance in the moment, but in recounting a story of repentance taking, out, taking place over a period of time. They argue that the text should read, I have given, rather than I will give. And the plain sense of the Greek is on their side. They argue that Zacchaeus has already given away most of his fortune by the time he sees Jesus. He is excited to see Jesus because he has lived his teaching and now he's overflowing. He gave abundantly, and now he reaps abundantly, filled with the buzz of generosity. This week, I was introduced to an organization called I Like Giving. It has a blog, videos, and books filled with testimonies capturing the joy regular people find in giving. Most are very simple. A family reads about another family whose primary mode of transportation is their bicycles, and their bicycles get stolen, and so they recount the joy they find going and picking out the bikes as a family and then trying to find this family to give the bikes away. Some are tearful. A mother wrestles with whether to honor her young deceased son's wishes to donate his organs. She takes a leap of faith and discovers a more profound meaning of stewardship as she learns the stories of the recipients. Some are playful. A young woman prays to not win anymore at bingo. <laughs> she feels a call to give the winnings away, but she doesn't know whom, to whom to give them. Eventually, she learns to live life in a more open-handed way. And when her boss then tells her that she has earned a raise, she just can't help but laugh at God's goodness and sense of humor. Each testimony captures the profound effects of giving. Most are not specifically theological, but if you ask the authors what is saving their life in that very moment, I bet they would tell you that it's giving. These stories are like a heaping bushel of delicious fruit, a gift to the giver, to the recipient, and to God. Because it is the fall season, it is our time to take account of the fruit in our collective life as a church. 
Friends and members of the church will commit to gifts to the church in the year ahead. Now, as you, if you are making your pledge, if it tastes like a bitter pill rather than sweet fruit, you are doing it wrong. When we come together as a church, we have more than enough to live into the life that Jesus is calling us and to do it with joy. You see, Jesus comes to unlock generosity. But he doesn't do it for the sake of this building, an institution, a particular type of worship. Jesus' gift of generosity is a gift to us as givers. It draws us into God's vision for the world. It gives us purpose. And before the dollars and cents leave our pockets, it seeks us out and saves us. Amen. Let us continue in the spirit of prayer. Faithful God, you bless us time and time again with your extravagant goodness and gestures that are far beyond what we deserve. You make, us, you make your grace known to us. In times of hardship, you give us community to lighten our burdens. In times of uncertainty, you share peace that casts out anxiety. In times of celebration, you fill us with gratitude, inspiring us to let loose an ever more profound Alleluia. We give you thanks for the good things that are among us that bring joy to our lives. And merciful God, we also know that our world is hurting. Heal those who are sick in mind, body, or spirit. Those struggling with addiction, cancer, and the pain that accompanies death itself. Oh God, hold close Megan and Lauren and comfort those who are grieving, especially Ginny and her family as they mourn Ted. In lands torn apart by war, violence and division, cultivate peace. Give leaders bold visions of a more just future that prioritizes the vulnerable and uplifts the downtrodden. Care for our earth and creatures struggling to find their way under the heavy footprint of our lifestyles. Grant us grace to live with a lighter touch. Help us to give back generously and pay back all we have defrauded and then some, so others can enjoy its beauty and riches. Through your spirit, call us by name and transform us, O God. Show us Christ within us 
and among us and through all of creation. We offer these prayers in the strong name of Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Creator, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As you go forth from this place, go and be generous. And if you're not sure you're being generous enough, keep giving until you find some joy. And go forth with this blessing and the blessings of our God we know as God, our Creator, Christ, our Redeemer, and the Holy Spirit, our Sustainer. Amen.